All right, good evening, everybody. Tonight we're going to be in Galatians chapters 1 and 2, if you want to turn there in your Bibles. Galatians 1 and 2. On the 28th, that's a Wednesday, that's the last Wednesday of this month, we're going to have a different kind of service. Um, it's going to, we're going to have the folks come up that lead each part of our ministry and kind of talk to you about what it means to serve in that area. Um, it is not a recruiting day. Um, we don't really like to do that. We don't like volunteers. We just want to make sure everybody understands there's an available opportunity for you if, if that's something you're interested in and what it looks like to be a part of that ministry. And so um, that Wednesday night, um, that's what we'll be doing. Rod will come up and talk about children's ministry. Josh will, um, will talk about whatever he talks about and, and so on. Camp. He's going to talk about camp a little bit and, and so on. So that's what it's going to be about. So I want to give you a forewarning about it so you don't show up and think, wait a minute. Um, but I mean, there'll be scriptures shared and everything like that as to why we do what we do. Um, but we also wanted to make it available for you guys to know about it. So, I mean, most of you guys know, but on Sunday morning, we're going to announce it too to let people know to come that night if they're interested in serving at Calvary here. So anyway, that's what's going to go on the 28th. Okay, Galatians chapters 1 and 2. Paul, uh, this is his only letter that he writes to a group of churches. Um, it's a region. Galatia is a region. Um, there's some crazy things going on in, in all these churches. Uh, that's what Paul would do. He'd go from town to town and, and plant churches. That was his ministry. He was an apostle. Uh, he'd stay there for a period of time, um, upwards of two years, uh, teach them as much as he thought they needed to know. He'd give them the whole counsel of God, fast or slow, um, and then he'd leave it to them. Have at it. Um, and that kind of ministry is great, but there needs to be some maintenance sometimes, and this is one of those maintenance letters. Um, hey, you know, uh, what I gave you was good, it was complete, and some guys have come in behind me and told you that it wasn't, and I'm here to tell you that they're wrong. And so it's one of those kind of letters. Um, he loves them, but he's going to teach us, um, because he wrote this letter to them, a whole lot about grace uh, and the importance of it and how to stand fast in that. Um, grace isn't the starting point for Christianity, it's the only point for Christianity. That's one of the most important things. Um, it's, it's, it's why we are who we are. It's what Christ came to give us, unmerited favor with God. And when we add anything to that unmerited favor to earn it, we've ruined grace. It now becomes owed to us. It's no longer unmerited, it's merited. Um, and so it ruins it. So grace is a very beautiful thing, um, but it's very delicate. We have to be careful about that. Um, about keeping it pure, keeping it the way it is. And that's what Paul's known for. He is a street fighter when it comes to ministry. He keeps things pure. Um, no, you know, and he stands firm when everybody else is against him. He stands firm. And that's uh, just one of his qualities and traits, and that's why God picked him, okay, uh, is for that, because he knew he'd stand firm. And we'll talk about a little bit more of that when we get into chapter 2 tonight. Verse 1, Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brethren who are with me. That's his greeting to them. I am an apostle. And I'm not an apostle self-appointed and I'm not an apostle man-appointed. I'm an apostle that's been God-appointed. Um, that must have been one of the arguments for the people that would come in, the false teachers that would come in behind Paul and try to uh, persuade people to go back to the law or to include the law in their faith. Um, and he says, no, what I told you was what I heard from Christ, not from men. Um, so it's not something I've got a degree in. It's something I've heard from the Lord himself. And he's going to elaborate on that in a minute. So we greet you. Um, I'm an apostle. You know, you think there's 12 apostles. 
and we're taught that, but there are many apostles. Barnabas was an apostle. Paul was an apostle, and there were more than that. Um, it didn't just end with uh, the 12, and so Paul declares himself to be an apostle. He says, to the churches of Galatia. Notice he says churches there. I don't mean to nitpick every single line. I promise I won't do that throughout, but um, it's not, you know, there's that, we can get into that semantics thing where, nope, it's the church of God. We're all a part of one big happy family. Of course we are. We know that. But even Paul says to the churches, plural. There's lots of different pockets of people all over God's pasture. Yeah, the whole world is God's pasture, but there's little pockets of, of sheep everywhere, you know, and, and he calls them churches. So we don't want to get hung up on the plurality of churches. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, it's just a greeting. Um, and he probably didn't intend for us to pick it apart, but it's hard when you're teaching it not to at least talk about some of the attributes of it. Grace and peace. You, you won't have peace with God until you understand the grace of God. And grace has to come first, and then you'll have peace. You can't have peace without it. And you'll notice that. that that'll be one of the, uh, the red flags for you. You know, because you don't want to go around your whole life saying, I hope I'm in grace. I hope I'm in grace. I'm and yet all of a sudden becomes a law to stay in grace. And you kind of mess things up that way. Um, it isn't meant to be that, you know, scary. Uh, you know, gosh, I hope I'm still in grace. Um, but you'll know that you're moving away from it anyway when you start losing that peace. When it starts to become uncomfortable, when you start feeling anxious about your faith, when you start being uh, not convicted. We all want to be convicted. Don't misunderstand me, but anxious about it. I don't know. People come up to me and, you know, they'll ask, and I'm sure they ask you, I don't know. I don't know. I just don't know. Well, the fact that you're asking that question is a pretty good indication that you are, because you wouldn't care if you weren't. So the fact that you're, you're there asking the question, that's good, you know. That's a starting point. But when you begin to lose that peace, um, when you're afraid to see Jesus' face or afraid to open the Bible or afraid to come to church, um, not because of the people, but because of the, because that can happen anywhere, but because you, you're not sure you want to be in the presence of God, you may have moved away from grace a little bit and you need to check yourself. Am I going to heaven because of what Christ has done for me? Or am I going to heaven based on my performance this week and it wasn't so good, so therefore I don't read my Bible, I don't hang out with brethren and I don't want to go to church, you know? It's, a, it's a, a warning flag for us. So grace and peace. And, and, uh, and another thing he adds here for us is, according to the will of our God and Father, he sent his son to die on the cross. That was his idea. We can't ever forget that, that it was God's idea to send his son. It wasn't our idea. We weren't pleading for a cure. Most of us didn't even know we were sick. But while we were still sick, God knew there was a cure that needed to be developed, and it was his son, Jesus Christ, dying in place of us, and it was his idea to send his son. So I don't want to feel bad, like, gosh, I'm so, sure I'm sorry that you had to die on the cross. I am, but it was his idea, you know? I had an interesting conversation with my wife. We're, we're learning about men and women at the age of 48 and 43, even more so. It's a good thing. And I, I've been talking about it with my daughters, too. I've noticed it in them more than not. But we were walking. I'll, start, I'll, I'll use my daughters as an example because they're, they're easy targets. Um, well, we were walking, and she had forgotten her coat. And so as a, as a man, there I am walking with, I'm fully dressed and ready to go with my coat. I said, take my coat. You know, no, I'm not going to take your coat. 
Like, what? why don't you take my coat? Because I don't want to take your coat. I'll be fine. And she's not. You know, they're not fine. And no woman is fine. They, when it comes to that, they need the coat. But they don't want to inconvenience you. They don't want it to be your problem. It's their problem. And there's this big tug that goes on in their heart. It seems. I'm not putting everybody in there. And I try to explain to them, do you understand how cool it feels for a man to walk around in the freezing cold in a t-shirt because he gave the coat to the gal? You're doing me a favor by letting me take, give you my jacket. And they started, oh, I said, yeah, you build us up. and we, we, we don't have puddles to lay our coats over anymore. The chivalry can't happen that way anymore. But let me walk around in the freezing cold and walk home, you know. And that makes me feel good and you're taken care of and everybody's good. You know, you're warm. Oh, you know. It was God's idea. And sometimes we feel like, oh, I don't want to put that on you. Oh, I don't know. If I, I don't need any more grace today. I've had enough for today. No, 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 no. I love the fact that you take my grace. He says that throughout the Old Testament. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. I want you to ask me for mercy so I can give it. I want to give you grace. This is what it's about, you know? Don't feel bad about taking the grace. And some of us are out there shivering in sinful guilt, and we won't just take it. Just take it. Take the grace. I want to give it to you. And it makes him look better. It makes Christ better. Now, Paul covers that. So should I walk? Should I always forget my coat so that grace can abound? You know, should I always sin so that grace can abound? God forbid. But when you do, when you do forget the coat, take it. Take it from him. Take that grace. It's his idea. Verse 6. I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. He's concerned. I can't believe how fast it was that you guys switched to this new gospel. And what he means by it's not another gospel, because gospel means good news. And what these guys brought into the church was not good news. That's why he says that. He gave you the good news. The good news is that you believe in Jesus and your sins are forgiven. That's the good news. No work can be done to forgive your sins. There's nothing you can do about it, but what Christ did, did forgive. Oh, that's great news. Well, these guys came in and says, yeah, but you got to be circumcised and follow the law and be a Jew also. Well, that's bad news. So it's not another gospel. It's another message for sure, but it's not another gospel. And that's what Paul means by that. But you, you grabbed onto it, Paul says. How quickly you moved from it. You were under the law, set free from the law, and you put yourself back under the law again. I don't understand that, Paul says. It's a perverted gospel. Pervert's a pretty strong word. It's a pretty strong word when you pervert the gospel. We use that word pervert in only certain circles and in certain instances. And God just applied it to their message. Their message. And that's how strongly he felt about it. It's not, oh, well, that's just how they do things over there. Or, and, and we need to be just as adamant about it in our walk with Jesus and as we share with other people. It's not okay. It's not okay to add to the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not okay. When you ask someone, how are you going to heaven? And they say, faith in Jesus Christ, and that's it. Pure gospel. Wonderful. But when they say faith in Jesus Christ and membership to this church or baptism or and add anything to that, they've gone one step too far. And it's not okay. You can't tell people that you have to do this, that, or the other thing and believe in Jesus. That's not okay. It's a perverted gospel. That's a hard thing. 
there's probably better ways to use. You know, Paul, Paul didn't pull any punches with these folks because he, he, he led them to the Lord. So he has that kind of relationship with them. But when you run into somebody who does go to a church that requires your membership at their church in order for them to go to heaven, you, you probably have to ease into it a little bit and let them know. Well, you know that what the Bible says, the Bible doesn't say anything about the membership of that church or this church or the other. It just says faith in Jesus Christ, and, and that's what saves you. That's how you're going to heaven. Oh, well, I was told I needed to wear this special garment or I had to go to this special church or go through these specific rituals or rites. No, 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 no. That's not in the scriptures. That's not in the Bible at all. Um, and you got to work your way into that and be careful because that's all they've known. That's what they've been told. That's what they've been brought up with. But you're like, that's, that's not here. And, and explain to them what it looks like to pervert the gospel. The perversion of the gospel in this instance, because there's lots of ways to do it, is adding circumcision to it. You've got to be circumcised. I'm glad you're a Christian, but you have to be circumcised also. You need to become a Jew to become a Christian. Not so. And so Paul calls it what it is. You have believed into, uh, into a perverted gospel. But even if we, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. It gets even stronger than perverted. If a man comes to you and tells you, wait, 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 you've got part of the gospel, here's more of it, let that man be accursed. That means he's going to hell. Or even if an angel, an angelic being comes and shares that you have not received the right gospel, that there's more to it, let him be accursed also. See, Paul warns us that Satan's uh, emissaries disguise themselves as angels of light. You won't be able to tell the difference except by what they say. And when it contradicts what God has said or adds to what God has said, then we know it's not true. We know what that person is or that being is. It's not of God. Even if another, or even an angelic being, an angel from heaven, preaches any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. He says it twice. Just in case they miss, oh, he must have misspoke. I mean, accursed, yeah. I mean, nobody would wish that on anybody. Anathema is the word he uses there, accursed, anathema. Um, that's what Vatican II says in, the, in, in Catholicism about anybody that's not a part of the Catholic Church. Let them be anathema, just in case you were wondering about that. Um, sorry. <laughs> Paul says here, let anybody that adds to the gospel, let them be anathema. You can't have any ceremonies. You can't have any work, anything you do, nothing you walk through, nothing you go through, nothing you do, no fire hot coals to walk across, no bed of nails to lay on, no positions to hold for as long as you can until emptiness enters your mind. None of these things can be added to the gospel of what Christ did on the cross. We simply receive the gift. We simply receive the gift. Or if they do come, let them be accursed. Verse 10, for do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I still please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. He's definitely not pleasing anybody right now is what he's saying. If I was to please men, I wouldn't be doing this for a living because I get beat everywhere I go by the guys that I'm talking about in this letter. 
The Judaizers beat him up all the time. They stirred up all the cities. Sometimes the Gentiles would do it, but most of the time it was the religious rulers of that town. If I was here to please men, I wouldn't be a bondservant of Christ. Verse 11. But I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel, the good news, which was preached by me, is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. I heard it straight from his mouth. For you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. I didn't go and get ordained. Christ ordained me. Christ laid his hands on me. Christ did this work in me, and I just went. I didn't immediately go up to Jerusalem to get approval. The folks he's talking about, honestly, came from Jerusalem. We're going to hear that later on. They actually came from the church in Jerusalem. They're coming in behind Paul and teaching this. And so he says, I didn't go to them. What I have, the gospel I've been giving you, the reason you're born again, all you churches in Galatia that I planted through the gospel that I preached, that, that message you heard that changed your life forever, I didn't get it from Jerusalem. I got it from Christ. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now, concerning the things which I wrote to you, indeed, before God, I do not lie. Afterward, I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia. And I was unknown by face to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. But they were hearing only. He who, for, and this is what they heard, he who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith which he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God in me. Now, they didn't trust Paul, but they were glorifying God in him. Isn't that great? But they probably wouldn't let him in the door of their church. They were a little worried about him. Is he, you know, undercover? Is he a, is he a spy? Is he just trying to find out where we are? You know, kind of thing. But nevertheless, they didn't hear about him. I mean, they only heard about him. They never saw him. They never heard him speak. Um, they just heard what he was doing. And he wants to let them know that. Um, I've never been on good terms with those folks. They've always been a little leery of me. Paul's gospel was meant for the Gentiles. Peter was called to the Jews. Interestingly enough, the, one of the Sunday school classes back there is doing the whole white sheet thing that Peter saw the white sheet come down with all the animals inside of it, and they're, they're doing animal crackers in the white sheets, and they're all going to come out with little, you know, and, and it's interesting, it comes up the same time we're going through this, but that was Peter's ministry. And we have different ministries. Uh, Paul's ministry was to the Gentiles. Maybe the guys in Jerusalem didn't understand it, but they accepted it. That's your ministry to the Gentiles. You go to them. As far as Peter was concerned, he went to the Jews. I mean, once in a while he'd go to the Gentiles, and you know the story probably of the sheet. If you don't, you can look it up and read it. But God was preparing him to go speak to that certain group of Gentiles, but most of the time he spoke to the Jews. That was his ministry. And it's really ironic, actually, that Peter, the fisherman, who probably didn't have the greatest education, along with James and John, who were called sons of thunder, they didn't have the greatest education either, they were fishermen, were called to the capital of their faith, where all the egghead 
religious rulers lived, and they were the missionaries for that town. Isn't it funny how God works? And then they take the smartest guy in the room, Paul, who was a Pharisee of Pharisees at the top of his class, exceeded, as he told us, above everybody else, and he sends them out to the Gentiles. I love how God works. Because God wants glory. God doesn't want it to be because of Paul, who could very well argue his way through any one of the Pharisees' little traps in Jerusalem. But no, he sent Peter there. And you remember what they said in Acts about those guys? When they brought the disciples in before them because they were preaching the gospel around the temple and they weren't supposed to be doing it, they marveled at these guys because they were uneducated and unlearned men, but they had been with Jesus. They were able to get that. They could see the power of God in these guys because they were unlearned and educated, and that's why God sent them there. But Paul? Paul, he sends out, clear out into the sticks with all the Gentiles, the heathens of the world, you know? And how many times did Paul try to get the Jews saved? He kept going to the synagogues, kept going to the synagogues. They kept kicking him out and beating him up. And he'd end up at the Gentiles' house next door, you know? It's interesting. But there's a bunch of Peters, and there's a bunch of Jameses, there's a bunch of Pauls out there, and everybody's got their calling to what their, their group of people, you know? Some people can't stand sitting in a setting like this, and they can't receive this way. Why is he on a stool? How come he doesn't have a podium? Where's his suit and tie? There's no, it's odd for them. It's awkward. And they're so hung up in the atmosphere that they can't hear what's being said. And that's fine. So they go to a more liturgical church, and there they're blessed, and there they get it. And that's fine. That's great for them. I that's, I mean, I'm just like they would be here at their church. Why is he wearing a suit and tie? He's got to be boiling hot up there. He's so stiff. He doesn't even move. Well, I don't move either, but um, I get caught up in that. Oh, it's a choir. I haven't heard a choir for a long, and I, and I didn't even hear the words they sang. You know what I mean? And so we do this instead here. It's different. Um, everybody's called to a different ministry, not, not a different gospel, not a different spirit. And it's always grace, but a different way. And that's okay, you know. And so there's Paul and there's Peter and they're all doing their own thing. And, and, and you're going to see when they, cross, when they cross the lines here. Paul's going to talk about that in chapter 2 when they, when they go, go to the different groups. Verse 1 of chapter 2. And then after 14 years, that's 17 years he's been in the ministry now. I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and also took Titus with me. And I went up by revelation and communicated to them the gospel, or that gospel, which I preached among the Gentiles, but privately to those who were of reputation, lest by, some, by, by any means I might run or had run in vain. In other words, he was not checking it out with them, but letting them know. Here's what I've been preaching to the Gentiles. But he didn't do it openly, because they'd probably throw him out. You know, everybody in the church was scared of Paul, and so he met with the apostles privately, those who had a reputation the top 12 or whatever, whoever was in charge, and he shared with them what he was sharing with them. And he brought along Titus, who's a Greek, okay? Which means he's not circumcised. That's going to come up here. Um, yet not even Titus, you understand, I, I broke that train of thought up. I probably shouldn't have. I went there for after 14 years. I told them what I said, and not even Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. Does that mean they were trying to? He resisted. Even when they went up to share the gospel in Jerusalem, there was something about Titus that bothered them, and they were trying to get him, talk him into 
hey, you know, you know, you got to be circumcised, don't you? To be, you know, I'm glad that you got Jesus and all, but you know, you got to be circumcised, Mr. Greek. And it says here that Titus wasn't even compelled mm-mm, to be circumcised, and this occurred because of false brethren secretly secretly brought in. There were some secret folks spying out their liberty who came in uh, by stealth to spy out our liberty which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage, to whom we did not yield submission even for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. You see that fight he had there? It's a struggle. I noticed something about the Bible. You know, you you read what's there, but you kind of read what's not there too. God follows grace. Why Why didn't the story or the narrative of the beginning of the church stay in Jerusalem? Why didn't it stay with James and John, the guys who were in Jerusalem in charge of that church? Why didn't it tell us stories about them and what they were doing there? How did it switch to Paul all of a sudden? And we follow Paul now. Because God follows grace. I was thinking about dead churches. You know, Dead churches are n- noted by the fact that there's no gifts of the Holy Spirit being used in the churches, and there's no, uh, you know, we've got our, our opinions on a dead church. And I would, I would submit this, a dead church where the Holy Spirit is gone, is a church that's lost grace. The Holy Spirit stays where there's grace. The Holy Spirit leaves when there's not grace. When we become legalistic, when we become uh, snarky, when we become a snarky church, if that's, that's the best word I can come up with, a church that <laughs> like, you know, does that for about everything, that's a snarky church. That's a church that God leaves. That's a church he, uh, you guys look fine by yourselves. But he goes where there's grace. He goes where there's grace. And where there's grace, the Holy Spirit rests, and then the fruit of the Spirit is evident. Because grace is love. God is love, and grace is his attribute that he's given to us and wants us to share with each other. And that is the fruit of the Spirit, love. Gentleness, long-suffering, patience, kindness, which doesn't exist when there's no grace. Can't exist. It's not welcome. It's not permitted. And when the Holy Spirit's not permitted, He'll move. He moves. That's a dead church, a church that's graceless anymore. And so that's what you watch for. Am I a gracious person? Does it come out of me? Or am I snarky? And only you know that. I mean, you could probably ask your best friend, and they'd probably go, you're not snarky. We'll, we'll watch out. Might want to get a new best friend. <laughs> As you snark together. You know, be careful. Check yourselves. And that's, that's good. And, and it's, not a, it's not a, you're going to hell. You're anathema. No, it's a, I was gracious. I was a really great person. I remember what it was like to walk in grace. I remember what it was like to give grace. And I didn't think that of other people. I didn't see people like I do now. I saw them differently. It's just a red flag for you. It doesn't mean you're lost or gone or, or, or you know, anathema. It just means there's some changes that need to take place. You need to get back to that. And that's grace. The fact that God doesn't throw us out when we become snarky, bitter, cynical. That he says, no, 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 I'm not throwing you out. I'm just checking you on this. You need to come back to where we were. And that's grace, you know. Grace is everything. And so Paul knows that. And he says, we didn't yield not even for an hour with these guys. Because that was their hammer. That was, yeah, yeah, I know you told them about the grace of Jesus Christ and the gospel. But 
did you tell them to be circumcised? Did you tell them to, the law of Moses? Did you tell them? And that was the whole argument when they came up last time with Peter. Here's what we've been telling them. Yeah, well, that's great. And that's when Peter actually says, good job, Peter, that they don't get saved like we do. We as Jews get saved like they do. And that opened up James's eyes until he wrote that letter and said, here's the letter that I want you to take to them. Stay, stay clear of, of sexual immorality and things offered up to idols and of blood. But that's it. He didn't even mention the Ten Commandments. Do you, you know that? He didn't even bring that up. Make sure they know the Ten Commandments. They've memorized them and they know them in order. Make sure they know this, that, or the other thing about the law, or this, that, and the other thing. There's nothing wrong with the Ten Commandments. They're perfect. But he doesn't put that in the letter. Now, these Gentiles that are born again, filled with the Holy Spirit, and they know grace and mercy, and they know they're forgiven of their sins, wonderful. We didn't even yield for an hour. And he's telling the Galatians that because it was for their benefit that he didn't. Can you imagine if Paul had yielded? What kind of churches we'd have today? Do you know what we'd look like? Do you know what we'd be involved with? Do you know what kind of ceremonies? This wouldn't be how we'd be teaching, that's for sure. I'd be sitting still, but you'd all be standing the entire time I taught because that's how it's done. That's the law. Rise. I mean, there's a lot, and that's, that's minor, you know. Um, I was having a conversation with Jenny about about Jesus, and I was thinking something through, and you know how he's perfect, we know that. He never broke the law. He never broke the law. We know that, and I know that. And yet the woman who was caught in adultery by law should have been stoned. By law, by God's command, should have been stoned, but she wasn't. But he didn't break the law there. Hmm. There's a lot there to think about. There's a lot there to get a hold of. So when he says, I desire mercy, and I'm looking for that, I'm also looking for you guys. And when you forgive anybody, they are forgiven. You see where he's going with that. The law stated that she must be, but before the cross, before Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, he didn't stone her, but was in all points tempted and never broke the law, never, never sinned. So that wasn't a sin. Something to think about. Grace is big. It's big. Bigger than I think we, we even know. I think it's going to be amazing when we get to heaven and fully understand it. But Paul's trying to give us a glimpse here. He's trying to challenge us. He's trying to challenge the Galatians because they thought they just added a little something to it. Well, we got circumcised afterwards. <clears throat> Makes him mad. You've turned so soon to a perverted gospel. Now, verse 6, But from those who seem to be something, whatever they were, it makes no difference to me. God shows personal favoritism to no man. <laughs> He's talking about the apostles. <laughs> I, went, you know, I went and told them what I said, and I know that they tried to get us to circumcise, and we didn't yield to them for whatever, whatever they were. It makes no difference to me. God shows partial favor, personal favoritism to no man. For those who seem to be something, adding nothing, added nothing to me. Those guys had nothing to add to my faith. They had nothing to add. They tried to but they had nothing to add. But on the contrary, when they saw that the gospel for the uncircumcised had been committed to me, as the gospel for the circumcised was to Peter, for he who worked effectively in Peter for the apostleship to the circumcised also worked effectively in me toward the Gentiles. 
And when James, Cephas, and John, that's Peter, Cephas is his original name, who seemed to be pillars, seemed? (laughs) He's not impressed. Perceived the grace that had been given to me, they gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. They desired only that we should remember the poor, the very thing which I also was eager to do. What he means by that? Don't forget to take up collection for us when you're out there. I'm less impressed with the church of Jerusalem every time I read the Bible. I'm less impressed with these guys. Because I notice the Bible doesn't follow them. After he says, Peter's to the Jews, Paul's to the Gentiles, God says, yeah, but I'm going to follow Paul from here on out. Because Paul understood grace. They didn't have anything to add to me, he says, on the contrary, which means I had something to add to them. They learned from me. They learned from that gospel. Or they remembered, one of the two. But they gave him the right hand of fellowship, and that's great for the Gentiles, which is who we are. But for the Jews, Paul, Peter, Peter will take care of that. Now, this is not where it ends. So they seem to be pillars. They seem to be something that gets worse. Verse 11. Now, when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. For before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him, so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. Peter was fine living it up with the Gentiles, full of grace and mercy, eating with them. But when certain men that were sent or came from James, James is in charge of the church back in Jerusalem. And when those guys showed up, there was fear that came upon all these guys, Peter and Barnabas especially, until they separated from the Gentiles. I won't eat, I can't eat with you guys tonight because James's guys are here. That's horrible. I can't eat with you because to eat with you is to be one with you. And we as Jews can't be one with you Gentiles. Are you kidding me? And so Paul withstood him to his face, called him out big time. Are you kidding me, Peter? Really? Right in front of everybody. Rebukes him. And you know Peter's got to be shaking his head. I did this before. This is when Peter's not walking in the spirit. This is when Peter's falling back into Cephas behavior. Remember when he says, I'll never turn from you, Jesus. I'm always going to be by your side. I'll die with you. And then the next breath, he's denying him three different times. Here he is again, flip-flopping. And what I think interesting here is that he brings up the name Barnabas. You remember Peter or Paul and Barnabas had that that argument. I know I keep saying you remember. Maybe you don't. Sorry, I can't read all those stories and teach them tonight. But if you do, um, great, you'll understand what I'm saying. If you don't, look it up. But as Paul and Barnabas were out ministering together and they wanted to bring, Barnabas wanted to bring John Mark with him and Paul says, no, he ran away like a baby last time we went. He can't come with us on this missionary trip. And there was such a strong contention that those two broke up. And we teach that and I I believe this, that well then we had two wonderful missionary trips going off. And that's true until you read this right here. Barnabas may have been a great guy and he may have had a personal ministry with Mark because that was his uh, nephew. And he wanted to make sure that, and and John Mark does become useful to Paul later on. But the Bible doesn't follow Barnabas after that breakup 
The Bible follows Paul after that breakup, which tells me God's eye moved from that group to, and if I've got to choose, I choose Paul. Because this is what happens. Barnabas gets caught up with, with Peter and doesn't eat with the Gentiles. You know how damaging that is to someone's faith? Suppose you went street witnessing, and you're ministering to, uh, I'm trying to think of some bad people that would be uncomfortable for us to be around. Let's say a bunch of meth users or something. You go up to the meth house. You begin preaching the gospel to them. Half of them are tweaking. The other half are you know, looking for more. And somebody receives the gospel. And you're like, yes. And they're broken and they're weeping and they're receiving Christ. You're like, yes, this is what it's all about. You know, Leading people to Christ, breaking free of their chains and, and, and letting, God setting them free from their sin. And you walk out, but oh, there comes that guy. And, and as you're eating at McDonald's with this guy, you move to a different table because you don't want him to know that you're with him. Can you imagine what that guy would feel like that just got set free? That's why Paul's so mad. Peter, how can you do this? Barnabas, are you kidding me? You guys are such hypocrites. I love Paul's boldness, you know? And I think God follows that boldness and likes it too. He shows us that. Verse 14, but when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, if you being a Jew live in the manner of, the gen- of Gentiles and not as the Jew, why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we have believed in, Jesus, in Christ Jesus that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. That's what he said to him to his face. Peter, we got saved like these guys. They don't get saved like us. But if while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners, is Christ therefore a minister of sin? Certainly not. For if I build again those things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. For I through the law died to the law, that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loves me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. Powerful. He said that to him in front of everybody. Peter, don't you know that just because we sinned doesn't make us less his son or less his daughter? Salvation comes through belief in Jesus Christ. All of my sins are forgiven. Now for the rest of my life, I want to live for him and I want to bring him glory and honor with the way I live. And by the way, that is the path to holiness. Grace is the path to holiness. If you want a sinless life, if you want to live a perfect life, Remember God's grace and walk in it. That's walking in the Spirit. And you won't do the things of the flesh because you're so grateful for what He's done for you at the cross. A gift that you can never repay. You could never earn it. And yet I want to live for Him. Far better than a list of rules and regulations that you have to memorize and make sure you've ticked them off each week. I think I did that one. I did that one. I did that one. And what He's saying here is real important that even if... Christ died for my sins. If he found us sinners, let let me read that again, but if while we seek to be justified by Christ, which we do, Christ therefore, and finds we ourselves also are found sinners, which means we, we blew it today, or we blew it tomorrow, or we blew it yesterday, you know, whenever. 
Does that make Christ a minister of sin? Does that ruin him? No, of course not. In other words, your faith is not shaken based off of your daily sins because you believed in Christ and his, his righteousness imputed to you. His mercy is given to us. His grace is given to us. Just because I sin today doesn't make Christ a sinner. It doesn't make his ministry ineffective in my life. I just took his coat. It makes me warmer. It solves my problem. And it makes him look amazing at the same time. And he so wants them to know that. And so you can see where the letter's headed here. He comes right out of the chute, doesn't he? Both guns a-blazing. Both love guns a-blazing, you know? Grace, grace, mercy, grace, mercy, grace, mercy. He shoots him. He loves it. And he wants him to love it. He wants him to come back. He wants him to get back. Next week, when we get into chapter 3, he starts off, Oh, foolish Galatians. And he's the one that told us we're not supposed to call anybody fools. And that's where we end tonight. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for Paul's heart. We thank you for calling him. We thank you for getting a hold of him. And thank you for sending him to us. Um, He is exactly who we needed as Gentiles. We needed someone who um, had been to the end of law, had tried it all other ways, and had been at the top of everybody around him as far as the law was concerned, and still was not found righteous in your sight. And so he found grace. And he received that grace from you. And he brought it to us. The message that you wanted to send with him of your son Jesus and the unmerited, unearned favor that we have with you because of his death on the cross, we receive gladly tonight. And we're reminded of that tonight. So Lord, help us to be full of grace for others. Receiving the grace and understanding the magnitude of your grace for us, Lord, help us to make sure we have at least a portion of that for other people. If there's any snarkiness in us, if there's any of that bitterness or any kind of self-righteousness or anything that's in us that uh, makes us look or feel better about being sons or daughters outside of your son Jesus Christ, Lord, remove it from our lives. We just want to confess that to you now. If we've got that in our hearts, where there's any kind of backbiting, if there's any kind of anything, Lord, that would make us or feel superior. Or just remove it, Lord. It's ugly in your sight. Um, we thank you for your grace. Help us to be full of grace. Help us to be a, individuals full of grace and then therefore a body of believers full of grace. That this church would always be gracious and graceful with others. Um, seeing them the way you see them. Um, never trying to rush the work that you're doing in their hearts. But always wanting to be ready to be used by you in anybody's life, to grow them. Just as even Paul had to write this letter, it may not feel like a gracious letter, but it is. It's what's exactly needed for them because they're moving away from that beauty, the simplicity of the gospel. Lord, I want to thank you for our kids. I don't know if we'd know pure grace if it wasn't for our kids, who we can say something wrong to one time and and come back to them and they're not bitter. They just want to have fellowship again. They just want to love us. And they immediately give us their love and their affection and their hugs and their kisses despite whatever we said or did. That's grace. And so we thank you for showing us that. That's what you meant when you set that little kid in the midst. We've got to be like them. We've got to become like them. Innocent and full of grace. Oh, we love you. 
Jesus' name we pray. Amen.